the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Steve Scruton and this week my special guest was Dave Gillam. Some of the questions we answered ranged from roses to the man who grew an avocado from a stone. Steve Scruton. This is BBC Essex. Well, before we get into your gardening questions, Dave's going to bring you some tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden during the next seven days. So, Dave, what we've got to get on with? Well, probably keeping warm at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a good start. Um, There's certain things that you can do in the winter um, if you haven't already done so. One of those is pruning apple trees and pear trees. Those are always pruned um, during the winter when they're dormant and you're just trying to take back this season's growth, (laughs) which is a bit of a guesswork for most. Um, But when you look at the stem, there'll be a a length of wood that's left and there'll be a darker bit and a lighter bit. And the the darker is what you're cutting back to, just to leave little stubs. Normally at this time of year, I've seen the, the, the beginnings of some sort of growth, especially on, on the trees. Yeah, the buds can swell. But there's, it's all a bit slow in my garden. I've not seen anything yet. <laughs> no, no, it is a bit slow. But if you, if you do it now, what you wouldn't be doing is anything that's got a stone in it. So a, pe- a plum, cherry, just don't touch them because that's done in the summer. Apples and pears only. Um, other things, if you love a rhubarb, any rhubarb lovers got to start forcing now so if you've got clumps of rhubarb in the ground and you want those lovely long red or pink strips of rhubarb without the strings with the sweetness that's done by forcing them and it could be as simple as a dustbin you can get proper what they call rhubarb forcers terracottas with lids quite an expensive way of doing it a plastic dustbin upturned over the top and then because of the darkness that will stretch and make the rhubarb sweet and soft what about actually pruning trees, though, in the garden? Is it, when's the best time to do that? Well, Obviously, when they're out of leaf. Yes, so you can do light pruning any time of the year, really, with most things, ornamental trees, certainly. Um, but while they're dormant, it is a good time. You can see the structure of the tree. You can see any branches that are crossing over, and if it's been damaged in the winter winds, the snow, you know, snow on branches, it, if it's a, a dense tree, it will bend the branches and possibly crack it. So those are the things we need to remove and possibly just put a bit of paint on there. You can get a, a hill uh, treatment for it just to stop anything getting into the, the sort of cuts that you're leaving behind. Um, but generally all, all work can be done. If it's summer flowering things, so they might not have leaves on there now and no, no flowers, we would normally wait until they're flowered and then you would prune after. Anything else? Um, just think of our birds, really. It's cold. The waters and the sources out there are freezing over. And they're not very good at falling it out before they have a drink. So, <laughs> you know, we're all feeding the birds, but we often forget that the water that we think they've got out there to access is actually frozen solid and they can't drink it. So just take the ice out, put some fresh water in there just to keep them going. And maybe just one more? Would be any bare beds and any areas in your borders, just dig them over. It's time to just let some air in. You can leave it quite rough. The cold and the weather will help break the soil down and save a lot of time getting the tilth and and workable soil in the spring. Some top tips there to keep you busy in the garden this week. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour. Every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex. Let's go to our calls now. And we started by chatting with Beverly in Canewdon. Hello, Steve. Hello, Dave. Morning, Beverly. Morning. I like daffodils too. I've got hundreds of them. My surprise was I was in the I was in the supermarket just yesterday, yeah. and I've seen the first one pound bunch of daffs. Yes, oh, yeah. they're out. They're there. Yeah, they're growing oh, well, greenhouses. Those ones are coming up, but uh, no flowers yet. No, no, don't want them yet, do we? No, no, no. <laughs> but your question, Beverly, is my, my about roses, question, isn't it? It is. Um, I have um, a rose, a golden celebration, mm-hmm. that's still in flower from last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it's already producing new shoots further down the stems for this year. Yes. And I don't know whether to leave the flower, the, the, the roses on the, uh, still in flower, or to cut them back. Well, probably, uh, probably a bit of both. Um, the flowers, 
it's something to do with modern day roses as well. I think modern day roses are bred to flower more and, and flower for longer periods. So what happens then if we don't get the proper cold winters generally in the autumns, they carry on flowering. But really, I would say it's certainly best to deadhead. So you would perhaps remove the growth yeah. by about a third um, just to stop too much sort of tip growth coming on there. Um, yeah. It's a little bit early to really properly prune them. Um, to take, you want to take them quite hard back, but it's a bit early yet because you don't want to encourage too much of that soft growth if we do get a cold snap. I'm really surprised though that the, the recent snow that we had didn't kill everything off anyway. Yeah, well, sometimes slow, snow can actually act as an insulator. So once it's on the ground, it, it keeps the temperature. It's, it's these permanent frosts, you know, where we'll, we'll slow plants down, and we haven't really had that many of them, um, certainly not till late. So I would prune back by a third, deadhead. T- tidy up anything that you think may need to come out um, and save the proper prune till probably early March. Beverly, thanks for starting us off. Good to hear from you. Let's go to Brentwood next. Hello, Paul. Hello. What can we Hello. do for you, mate? Um, about six months ago, I planted an avocado stone. It's only, <laughs> it's only in a small pot. Yeah. Uh, now it's growing quite nice. It's about six inches high, perhaps eight inches. Um, but it's outgrown the pot e- easily, I can tell that. Yeah. My two questions is, what type of pot do I repot it into? Like a tall one, does it have a tuber type of root, and, uh, you know, underground? So is it a tall one or a wide one? Well, like a I mean, you, you, you've done well to get it growing in a pot because a lot of people would put them in water first to soak them up and, and make them split, and then you've got to try to get them used to being in compost again. Um, so getting it going in the pot is a good thing because it's it's already got proper roots uh, developed in there. So it's really a decent sized pot. It doesn't need to be what we'd call a long tom, you know, where it's taller than it is wide. Just a right. good sized pot. And I would go traditional and have a clay pot. A clay pot? Yeah. Um, there just tends to let a bit of air in there. And, and it, it's just, it looked quite nice as well. Um, so if you've got a clay pot, plastic would be fine, but they t- tend to prefer having that breathable clay. Right, and that would have a hole in the bottom. It'll have a hole in the bottom, so you can just put a saucer underneath. Once we get into the spring or summer, that can go outside. Well, I live on the full floor in a flat. So. <laughs> no balcony, no? <laughs> no. Well, how, how, how likely is Paul to get, get some fruit off this then? Unlikely. Um, you'd need the sort of day lengths and, and, and the weather uh, conditions that we don't really get in this country. What you'll get is a very good, strong, effectively house plant. Um, they have a big leathery leaf, much like a, you know, a rubber plant and so on in there. So you could almost treat it much the same as that, just a structural right. plant. Uh, at the moment, Dave, the leaves are drooping like a bloodhound's ears. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they will a bit. It's probably due to the light levels, just the short day lengths and things. They will hang a little bit. As long as they're green, they'll often get a little sort of uh, brown tinge on the end of the point of the leaf. And that, that can be sometimes using tap water rather than rainwater and just changing in you know central heating and things like that. So Do you think you'll get any flower on it? Possibly, it might. But they normally need to be of an, a reasonable age and they can be quite a big plant. So um, it may be something that will outgrow your... Uh, your home. My life, my life well, <laughs> it's about 20 years before they fruit, isn't it? It can be, yes, and they'll be almost a tree. So um, don't be afraid to prune it. So in the spring, if it starts getting tall and leggy, just, just prune it back and just keep pruning it, and you might just keep it compact um, and keep it in the house for longer. Right, and that's pruning from the top shoot, is it? Yes, yeah. Right. So what size pot would you recommend? Well, I, I would probably look to around about an 8-inch pot. So that's obviously to take into account the future growth because yes. it is going to get quite big this isn't it yes if you go too big then everything sort of the compost and everything deteriorates before the plants are using it too small you'll be potting it up again and that will probably do it for for probably a couple of years um just if it gets big prune it and just grow it slowly you can almost bonsai it by its restriction um if it does look like it's filling in the pot give it some feed and i would probably use just a normal house plant feed and that can keep it in the pot a bit longer 
0300 200 40 41 is our phone-in number. Lots of space at the moment for our gardening hour. Get your call in as fast as possible, though, because we will run out of time at 12 o'clock. <laughs> so it Kath, goes. Kath Melandry will be here. She'll be wanting to get on, and we'll run out of time. So call now. You can text. You can email. Text us. Text the word Essex, and your message to 81333. Um, and email is uh, is steve.scruton at bbc.co.uk. But perhaps best to text or call today because we may not get round to, to the <laughs> emails as well. <laughs> I, I just wanted to talk to you very quickly, though, mm. about something that several people have spoken to me about because as soon as I said I was doing the programme, they said, oh, will you ask what to do with our old Christmas trees? <laughs> well, we, we know you've got to recycle them, but you've you've heard, haven't you, Dave, of a scheme that's going to help the hospices. Is that yes, right? we, we had, uh, and I can't I can't remember the, the value of it, but it was a leaflet that had a contact number, and it's for Farley's Hospice. Um, and you just give them a donation. I think they suggested a, a donation value, and they will collect the tree on certain days, and they will um, shred it and recycle it into, you know, mulch and so on. So it's it's a win-win. You don't have to mess about trying to, to put, you know, put the Christmas tree in a car it's and a trying to move it. It's a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. The mess as well. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of Christmas trees sort of strewn in front gardens where they've got that far, and what do we do with it now? And you know, it'd be interesting to see what. People do do. I'm sure there's various uh, ways and means of disposing or using the the old tree, but um, it's a pain. <laughs> well, if there's a way of helping charity at the same Certainly, time, why I'll not do it? probably find on their site. You'll, you'll um, find the info. Howard in Clacton has uh, has texted in. He says his uh, his rubbish his rubbish his rhubarb <laughs> not his rubbish. He's, he's, he's talking about recycling. His rhubarb's poking through that yellow. It got little pinky tips on yes. the end. Um, and is there anything he can do to force the rhubarb to grow quicker? so he can get an earlier stalk or two. He's already getting that uh, taste again for rhubarb and custard. Do you know, I oh, you've started something now. I, I, a crumble for me, oh. I think, crumble. Rhubarb and blackberry crumble, oh. or apple crumble. Oh, lovely. Anyway, uh, rhubarb. Not too mushy on top, though, please. <laughs> no, no, nice A bit and crispy crusty. on top, please. Yes. Yeah. plenty of sugar. Yeah. Um, just to really, it's perfect time. It is Now is the time, really, to start forcing rhubarb. So if you've got... You'd need a bit more than a bucket if the clump's been there for a few years because they really do wake up with a bang. Mm. Um, so really a, a plastic bin. You can get those really cheaply from the sort of DIY stores. Yeah. And generally we've got something that, that hanging around. Plastic rubbish bin upside down, over the top. Um, and just keep an eye on it because they will soon grow. And you don't want to start seeing that bin <laughs> elevating up. <laughs> Look like a Dalek sort of moving around the garden. But... Um, Harvest them well, and you can get keep going for a few goes, you know. But really, at some point, once you've had a few good uh, goes at it, take it off, let it green up, and revitalise for next year. Okay, you're talking about early, just quickly before the travel. You're talking about early rhubarb. Yeah. I mean, what's generally the right time for rhubarb to be appearing? Well, it is appearing now. It will start but because of the cold. It grows slow and be short stemmed, and, and not that bright pink, sweet, st- rubbery. You know, we want this yeah, lovely, yeah. flexible stem. Um, so really, it would be March onwards that you'd start perhaps getting the first ones, but really, we can get it by the end of February easy, um, just by covering it up and keeping it dark. Dave Gillam's with me in the studio today. Steve Scruton in for Ken Crowther. Steve Scruton. This is BBC Essex. Just before we talk to Anne from Dedham, going back to our previous caller, mm-hmm. you remember Paul was talking about his, his avocado. avocado. He just wanted to know what sort of compost he should use. I would use a John Ennings, a soil-based compost, and probably num- maybe number two because it's still a young plant. Number three will be fine, and you'd use that ongoing. It is a tree, and, and they tend to like a heavier soil. So I'd use a John Ennings compost, number three preferably. OK. Now, sorry to keep you waiting. It's, uh, it's Anne in Dedham. Hi, Anne. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, to you all. And to you two. Um, I've got a number of orchids, um, the, the ones that have the aerial root and the big leaves. Yes, the, and, the, look um, like a pansy. Yeah, that's right. And they're getting top-heavy. In other words, they're growing really well, Yeah. but they, they, they've outgrown their pot, and they're now hanging over the pot and tipping the pot over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I'm wondering if I repot them. Yeah. I've got bigger pots to put them in, uh-huh. and I've got the orchid compost. But trying to bend the roots or cut the roots, how am I going to get them so they're upright again and can start off 
Is it safe to trim the roots? That's what I'm trying I, to I, say. Well, you can if you have to. I wouldn't recommend it. Is it is it a clear pot that you've got as well? Is it? I've got well, clear pots, yes. Clear and pots, I've now yes. got the largest size they do. Cool. How old are these orchids? Oh. Uh, a few about years. seven, eight years. Oh, oh right. Wow. Okay. You've done yeah. well. Because such... Generally, people will, will try to pot orchids a little bit too quick. Um, and, and when the roots sort of hang out the pots, they worry about it. But that's actually what they do. Um, they're used to Yeah, I realise that. So you're, you're, you're being good. It's the right sort of timing on these. So um, I would just try to flex some in the pot. But I really wouldn't worry about any roots coming out. Because, you know, they are normally hanging from trees in moss. Um, it's not a problem. It's not sightly. As long as you can get enough in that pot to stabilise the plant, yeah, um, that would be fine. I wouldn't really cut them. Um, you might be able there to bend are some them. roots that obviously have sort of gone um, shriveled up. Yes. So they, I can, I can Th- trim those off. are fine. Yeah, trim those off because they're finished. It's just purely they've done their job and they've dried yeah. out a little bit. Um, and you can just trim those off. But certainly fresh, the fleshy ones... Um, just try oh, to keep to them damage. in. No, and if you can tuck a few in to keep it up, but you will get more come out the top, but don't worry. Yeah. So the the answer might be that those that I can get in, get in. Yes. Um, those that I can't get in... Um, Leave them out. Square, square the, the plant up so it yes. doesn't tip over. that's it. And could I, at a later date then, put moss round them? You you can. I mean, I've known people to just use moss instead of the, the orchid compost because it is just something to hold moisture lightly around the root. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a bit of moss around there, and you could probably use it almost like packing to, to stabilise it and so on around in, in the pot. Yeah, because they are now, as I say, they are big plants, all yeah. of them. They sound like it. They'd be good. <laughs> Lots and of flowers. And three of them are in, in full flower at the moment, so... Oh, um, I won't do it while they're in full flower, obviously. No, I, I tend to let them just start finishing and then do it. Lovely to be able to grow orchids successfully, though, because so many people struggle with those. Don't well, they? they're one of these gift plants, aren't yeah. they? Everyone gets them and they've been growing and they're in flower. The job's almost done. It's only when they're finished that, that it's like, what do you do with it now? It's... So what? Do, what's the, the biggest mistake people make with, with orchids? Because um, a lot of people have had them for Christmas, for example. Yes, yeah, it is to, one go, oh, the stem's finished and prune that flowering stem right off because quite often it will reshoot new flowering stems from the original one um, and also pot them up too quickly. And and if they've gone into a big pot and they've got lots of food and they've got lots of moisture, you end up getting lots of leaves and no more flowers. They are so... We have to remember where they're normally from and how they're normally growing, and it isn't in a nice, snug environment with lots of food and lots of water, it's rainforest stuff. You know, the water, the roots will get splashed, the dampness, and then they'll dry and splashed. And we have to try to replicate that a little bit. And that's the big problem indoors, isn't it? Because yes. Because with central, central heating, heating, the dry rooms, they don't like that. Do no. They? Or sitting in water, it's it's a plunge it, put it on the draining board, let it drain, pop it back in its pot. Probably once a week doing that is enough and a little mist over the top if you can. Dave Gillam's with me on BBC Essex, our gardening expert from Abercorn Plant and Garden Centre. Uh, Steve Scruton in for Kane Crowther. And uh, you can call 0300 200 4041 if you've got a question, a gardening question this morning. Or you can text, text the word Essex, your message to 81333. Brian's done that from Colchester. And he says the leaves have fallen off his small fig tree in November. And now all he's got left is a main stalk and a couple of smaller branches. Um... With thumb-sized figs sort of forming, he says he's, he's moved the fig plant, which is in a container, into a cold greenhouse to escape the worst of the cold. But he asks, will the tree survive and, and grow new leaves, and will the figs be edible? Ooh, two answers there, I think. Um, the tree will survive. That's absolutely fine. They are a hardy plant. Um, you maybe didn't need to move it indoors to protect it, as far as the plant is concerned. Um but it won't do any harm as long as it stays there. What you don't want to do is soften it up um, because it's in a warmer environment than outside, move it out early, and then we get a cold frost, a cold snap, because the plant hasn't acclimatised to that. So keep it indoors while it's been in there for a bit um, until we get probably into uh, March time and it's a bit warmer. Right. Um, and maybe the, on the plus side, 
moving it inside may mean that those figs will continue to, to grow and reach maturity. Quite often the, the fig that you are likely to eat at this time of year would be much smaller than thumb sized. Um, and they tend to overwinter better because they're small and then mature later, you know, late summer really when we've got these last big black figs on the tree. So the larger ones tend to suffer through the winter and fall off in the, in the spring. So it's plus or minus, but you may end up with a figure, figure two at the end. Don't worry about the plant. It'll be absolutely fine. What do you like with your mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> don't like them. You don't like them, but can you grow them? You see, because Jim in Basildon, he's been given a box for Christmas, mushrooms to grow. He says everything's in the box, apparently. He wonders where's the best place to put it for the mushrooms to grow. Do they need warmth, darkness? What about water? And when will they be ready to pick? And, and having picked them, he says, will they come again? Well, they will for, for a while. So normally with these kits, sometimes the spores, the mushroom spores, um, are actually in a separate packet in, and quite often in vermiculite, like a carrier, to, to be able to spread them. Other times, if it's a slightly dry uh, compost, they're mixed in the compost. So see what you've got, if you've got two packets or one. Right. Um, if it's one, it's in there. And you would normally water it um, and put them somewhere... Not hot, but warm. A kitchen cupboard is quite good. Um, and dark to, to get them going. Mushrooms are always grown in the dark. Um, hence, there's so many different sayings about gro mushrooms growing in the dark. But um, <laughs> they, they will need that. It, will, it varies in time. It's hard to put it down to temperature. Um, too hot, and they won't necessarily get going. Too cold, they'll just be slower. So it's better to err on the side of cooler. So not an air, you know... I was going to say, airing cupboard would be too hot then. And we don't really have airing cupboards now, do we? Well, I was thinking more like, you know where the hot water tank is? Yes. It's often there's a cupboard there. Well, that's quite warm in that there. That can be too warm. I'm sure there'll be people that do do it. Um, that's gardening. It, there's every every way, but um, your way is fine. So a kitchen cupboard tends to be good. Um, keep it dark, keep it moist, just keep an eye on them. And once they go, as long as you keep picking, they do often carry on, but you, you'll get a big flush of, of mushrooms feast and famine um, and then there'll be bits and pieces come after and once you really sort of had a, a few picks after it's probably time to recycle the compost into the garden get rid and start again yeah well a lot of gardeners use mushroom compost from the farms put it in the garden and then get loads of mushrooms, loads of mushrooms. <laughs> so once the spores are there as long as you can keep them going and, and misting them is quite important just to again just keep them damp but not wet um, and so don't water the compost then you really. water it to start so it soaks up yeah, and yeah. It, it sort of triggers it to go but thereafter you're really up, just a heavy misting is, is enough good advice there for you Jim and good luck hope you get loads of mushrooms yeah. they are, I mean I love them but you, you know you're not a fan I had a bad experience as a child with them and uh, that put me off <laughs> we <laughs> so won't go into fried that breakfast minus the mushrooms normally right, okay. <laughs> um, George is next hello George hello welcome to BBC Essex George thank you um, you know when you put your spuds in? Yes. Uh, what's the best thing to prevent wireworm? <laughs> the little holes in them, what we get when you dig them up. Uh, is, yes. Is uh, that all varieties of potato or just one particular one, George? Uh, well, we planted two or three different types last year and they all seem to have them. Right. Have to, it is a real um, problem. Um, they're... <laughs> <laughs> they're if I could say there was a cure, I'll tell you what it was. But um, You'd make a bit of money as well selling yes. it, wouldn't you? There, there yeah, has well. been, over time, there's been sort of chemicals that we could have used um, and they've been long gone. Um, yeah. What I'd suggest to you is when you, you get your potatoes, you know, we, we do nearly 40 varieties. Um, I don't know why you need that many, but we do, we do them and people like them. But yeah. there are some that are more resistant to wireworm, the same as there's some that are resistant to slugs and some that are resistant to blight than others. So it, it, it's perhaps a little trial and error. Look at, they yeah. should always have yeah, on no, there. No short, not correct. really, no, no. Um, obviously not growing them where you've grown them before is a, a good thing because if there's wireworm there, it will stay in the soil yeah. um, and wait for you to then plant your next crop. So. Crop rotation is is very key to try to reduce it, but it's one of those pests that is out there um, that we haven't really got good controls of, um, and it's only going to be culturally that you can reduce the damage. Yeah, do um, it's time now to buy a minute. So um, 
what do you recommend for bacon potato? Well, <laughs> well, I I only normally grow one potato, and and which I, is which is kestrel. Um, the reason for that is I'm quite a lazy gardener. <laughs> I, I I have little time and a lot of aspiration, so um, I tend to like to do something once and it'll do me for the year. So kestrel is a what's classed as a second early, so you can plant them. Let them grow. When they start flowering, winkle a few out as new potatoes and early potatoes. Leave them in the ground and they will grow on to be a good uh, sized main crop potato. Um, and what's good about them is slugs don't like them. Ah. So when you're leaving them in the ground, which is the best place, I've left them in there and gone out Christmas Eve, dug them out the ground and they're still good without all the slug holes in them. And they tend to roast, bake um, and chip quite well. The only thing they don't make is mash. They're a little bit sort of slightly waxy for, for, for mash. But everything else, perfect. One fits all and that suits me. The name again is? Kestrel. Kestrel. As, as Kestrel. in the bird of prey. Have you when tried... do you recommend planting them in the sort of... Well, most people plant or... far too early. Um, I mean, they're only... Ours haven't even arrived yet. They will arrive soon. And I'm sure other places have got them. Um, but you're... It's about chitting. I've, I don't even chit them. I, I just wait until about March time and plant them. Um, and they will do what they do and they will grow what they grow. Um, but it's a traditional thing. People like to do the traditional methods and chitting them in the egg box. Um, but you won't need to really start that till February um, with a mind of planting them in March, perhaps. George, thanks for your call. And you realise, Dave, loads of people now are going to be on the hunt for the castor potatoes, you, <laughs> that, you, you've said that, it now. It's actually now our most popular potato, and it never was. But once people have tried it, they come back again for it, so I can't be far wrong. There's going to be a shortage <laughs> now. There'll be a shortage. Uh, let's go to Great Tay. Hello, Marlene. Hi, Marlene. Hello. Uh, right, Hi, I'm talking about birds of paradise. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have some beautiful birds of paradise, which I have to bring in um, in the winter, obviously, because they're a summer flowering. Mm. Yes. Mm. Last year, they produced 11 flowers. Blimey. And I uh, spoke to Ken um, after they finished flowering because I wanted to repot them. They were breaking out of their pots. Yes. So I repotted them, got all the pot and compost he told me, uh-huh. and now I have a room full of flies. <laughs> oh! I yes. have never seen so many of these little flies and it, it's terrible. <laughs> Where have they come from? Compost? It's from the compost. Yeah. From the compost, um, haven't they? Yes. Um, it is, it is uh, especially indoors, ideally, um, I suppose the only way to get around that is to pot them and pot them when they're going outdoors and, and the fly will disperse, they will go, it's really the cold normally sorts them out, they're dormant in the compost, they're within the peat um, that's in there and, and the elements that are in the compost, but they normally have a very, very short life cycle and then outdoors, they will dissipate, they will go. You can use some fly spray and, and try to, to reduce them down, but you will find that they will reduce down and, and stop um, eventually. But it's probably because... Yeah, so when, when I do actually put them out again, sort of April, May, yeah, will that destroy them? That would be fine, and I'm sure when you bring them back in in the winter, you won't have that problem again. Yeah, because I've, uh, the ones I've repotted have now got new leaves coming on them, yeah. So I know that they've taken. Um, and the one that was the original has got three flowers this year. So obviously by That's re- great, yeah, because sometimes they don't flower so well the year after potting because oh, suddenly they've no, got this new lease of life and they yeah, grow leaves. Lovely heads on it, so I know I'm going to get three. But, um, yeah, it's just these flies. Oh. Uh, no, it, it's, it can't be, can't be helped, but um, it's, it's mother nature. Marlene, can I just ask why you why you decided to grow these? Because I mean, I loved seeing them in the wild. I mean, you know, in in, in Europe, obviously yeah. in Spain. I mean, <clears throat> they're everywhere, aren't they? <laughs> so easy to grow. We we bought the um, we bought the seeds back, and my husband put them in the greenhouse, and ah. they were actually seven years before a flower appeared. Yes, difficult Very to hard. grow then. It's a long old time. You can get the female version. Yep. The ones with yogurt are the male fl- male plant. The female one can grow up to 25 foot tall plus. Wow. It is absolutely huge, massive, almost yeah. banana leaves. Um, quite bizarre. I've seen one of them and you wouldn't put the two plants as being 
part of the same thing but um they're a lovely thing but you need patience and you've obviously got that but well done marlene that's a that's a great story now i wonder if anybody else is growing bird of paradise in essex i mean they're, it's they're not the sort of thing you you sell very much of i would have we don't we don't we no. don't sell them because of the the time and the large plant because of the effort that has to go into that is, is an expensive thing so it, it is a, a hobby plant that you're going to put time in and hopefully get the results in the end the BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex. With me on BBC Essex this morning to answer your gardening questions, Dave Gillam is here. Uh, he's our expert. Ken's off. Uh, he's, a, he's a bit unwell today, so Steve's sitting in Ken's chair. Don't ask me too many gardening questions. Although, to be honest, I... I I just can't get in my walk on the lawn now. Squelch. In my, it's just full of squelch, yeah. and, and you're not really supposed to walk on it, are you? When it's like not that. when it's cold and wet. Um, fro- you know, when it's really frosty, it can cause some damage. But sometimes you've got to get out there and do a bit. Well, I have to. I, I do have to go out and feed the fish occasionally in the <laughs> pond. You know, are they still feeding. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they st- they stopped in when it was very cold. Yes. but that, I noticed the day before yesterday they took a bit. I mean, they go out. Again. You can always tell when they want it. You know, they say fish are stupid and they don't know anything. Yeah. As I... soon as I open the door <laughs> to get in the garden, in especially when they want feeding, yeah. they're straight. They hear the door. A three-second memory, but they remember when they got fed last night. They remember, <laughs> and, and they hear where you're walking in the garden. They know yeah. when I'm approaching the pond. And how does that work if they've instinct. got no memory? It's got to be instinct, isn't it, somewhere in there? Well, I think they're cleverer than people <laughs> think. Um, Richard's been on. He wants to um, he wants to uh, he wants to buy a sapling tree for his son who's getting married this year. He wants to plant it in the garden of their new home. That's a nice idea. That's yes. a nice idea. Um, he likes the idea of the tree, the tree growing with with their marriage, which is obviously it's a great idea. Um, but one that's going to last a few years. The garden's not too large; it's about seventy feet long. What would you suggest? When's the wedding? Do we know? Um, getting married this year. No, we don't know when. Just this year. <laughs> That's a shame. Because um, that, is that important then, well, when you plant? Because what you could have is, is it's not necessarily when you plant, because trees nowadays are, are container grown and you can plant them any time of the year. Ideally, you plant them autumn or early spring, purely for establishment, so that the roots can get out before the summer sun comes and you're not out there all the time watering it to get it through. Um, after a year or two, then normally trees look after themselves. Um, but if we knew when it was flowering, then we could, or when the wedding was, then maybe a tree that flowers or does something around that time would be quite good. But there's some lovely trees out there. Our Melanchia is, is a favourite of mine, um, which is a small tree. Um, it's white flowers in the spring, so you get a, a real wake up. Spring's coming, it's flowering before the leaves come, and one of the best trees for autumn colour there is as well. So you're going to get two good seasons out of the tree um, and also it does a little blackberry that you hardly see it but the birds love it what about a fruit tree because then you'd get something out of it as well wouldn't you yes yeah i mean the fruit tree and there's so many names of varieties of fruit trees and maybe there's a name that is relevant to the couple to the day to an event that that would fit as well so you know look at the apples um i would probably stay away from um, things like sort of peaches and uh, nectarines they can be a little bit fussy if they're not an experienced gardener but apples easy, apples isn't it? pears they're, they're, so know. if it was an apple tree i mean what sort of, would that be springtime um, they're or generally now? now onwards so uh, there'd be more and more coming in the spring because again they're lift they're quite traditionally grown to start with so they, they're lifted and potted in the in the autumn hmm. and really for me i'd rather plant an, a fruit tree in the spring because it's established itself in the pot and you're not disturbing it again soon after it's been um, potted and that tends to be better for in my mind um so a, most variety will be available probably up and around march time um and that's a good good enough time to plant as well Brilliant. So when you get, if you go and buy it now, for example, it'll come in a it'll come in a pot, won't it? Yes, it so will. Leave, leave you it. rarely get what I mean. The, the term sapling would be a very small plant, and yeah. you rarely would be able to get that. Certainly in fruit trees, um, you came from supermarkets, and they tend to be in these little plastic bags. But they don't always, you know, they're done for sh- for shelf sales, not necessarily for longevity. Right. Um, you're better to buy a plant that's slightly older that has been made pruned a little bit so its base shape has started and that's that you know relatively about 30 pounds for a a tree that's going to fruit that year is is 
not too bad value. But I'm just thinking for those who maybe do want something to grow from a sapling. Yeah. And, and these are things that maybe people have had for Christmas, you know. I mean, it's an easy thing to get, isn't it? Mail order, you know. Yes. Through the yeah. post it comes, in a box, you That's know. It. I mean, what what would you do with that? I mean, do you, can oh, you leave I, it in its, its plastic thing for no, a bit? No, you or? need to get it out really and get it potted, just in a pot that you can fit the roots into and right. just establish a, a, root, a root ball, a solid root ball again, because they've probably been grown in open ground, lifted as bare root and just right. wrapped in a, in a bag to to give it some sort of shelf lifetime. Um, so pot it, water it, against the wall to start with because it's young and it will be susceptible to sort of extreme weathers um, and just get it going and then plant it in the ground. So in the spring again? Yeah. Get and it going now. And look for the rootstocks on these, these trees because all fruits have different rootstocks and some will be dwarfing um, and others will, will be not dwarfing and an undwarfed root, you know, apple tree is a big tree. Um, so <laughs> you need a bit of space. I'm thinking got... of the song. See, see the tree, how big it grows. It's yes. the honey. Gobby, uh, Bobby Goldsborough song. No, you, you won't remember. That. Far too young. <laughs> Far my time. Yeah, yeah. Far my time. way before your time. But yeah, they, just they make do... sure you know what stock it's on because then you know what you're doing and where to plant it. I just while you're here though, Dave, I just want to briefly. I know. Keep your course coming, by the way, and we will come to you. Oh three hundred two hundred forty forty one. You are chairman of the National Dahlia Society, <laughs> yes. and and I, I know you're you're ever so proud of that because you show your dahlias. You also as we said earlier, show daffodils. Yes. Um, you love doing this, don't you? I mean, talk about a man who works in the business. He has his own garden to maintain, and it's your hobby as well. Yes, well, most of my garden, um, the, certainly the back part of the garden is dahlias. Um, is and it? then the front part sort of decking in it. I've built myself a man cave. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my gardening specifically for hobby is is quite intensive. It's growing my dahlias and... Um, and it's hours and hours. I grow, will this year be about 400 odd plants um, in numbers. And it's it's a bit of a chore sometimes, but when you, you're trying to achieve perfection and actually that doesn't exist. So it's a continual uphill walk to get closer if you can. You're always trying to better what you've done before. Yeah, it's controlling Mother Nature. And, and you know, a daily, generally a show flower would have 300 petals in it. Wow. Um, and there's going to be some judge and that could be me standing there going well that one's not where it should be out of the 300 so you're never gonna get perfection but you're just trying to you're get striving as, for it all the time yeah and the fact you can't achieve something perhaps makes you try again the, the next year so it's good fun and a great crowd of people and i'm one of the young ones <laughs> amongst well, if- them but uh I was going to say, if we get time, we'll talk about daffodils, because obviously we're getting close now to yes, the daffodil season. Yeah, they're poking up. They are. Let's squeeze in Maria from Grace. Hello, Maria. Hi, Steve. Hi, yeah. Good to talk to you. Year, dear. And to you. What uh, can we do for you? Well, I've got a large calisthenia, mm-hmm. and um, it was doing, it was quite big when I bought last summer, and it was doing ever so well, and then all of a sudden, as soon as I put the central heating on all the leaves died off one by one so I was left with just a load of sticks in the <laughs> pot and I didn't know what to do with it and I thought no I'm going to persevere so I kept watering it and I thought I'm not getting rid of it because I like it and all of a sudden once the central heating I think settled down the plant started growing again yeah. so you got some leaves coming have you? I've got now eight leaves on it, mm-hmm. and they're doing quite well. They grow ever so quickly, but what I wanted to know was, can I leaf shine those? And also, if they start dropping off again, what do I do? <laughs> um, well, it can happen the same with, uh, with with citrus plants as well. It's just a change in environment, and it's a, it's a mild shock, and plants... Yeah, I've been obviously been shocked a lot. I've lost most of my hair, but <laughs> plant, plants tend to to lose their leaves in shock. It's it's a, a system of saying, well, it's suddenly got warmer. It's suddenly got drier in the air. Hmm. I can't get the moisture in through these leaves. I'm going to shed some and protect myself. Um, and they almost you know go into dormancy. And then once things settle down, as you said, they, you know the temperatures have settled and they've become more consistent. The plants now thinking it's time to, to try and do something. So um, keep the watering very low. Um, don't let it get too wet because it is dormant. Um, and just try to ease the heating up slowly <laughs> uh, if you can. It's just change of environment. And obviously where, when you've brought it, it's been grown probably in a greenhouse or in, in a very 
exacting environment and now it's moved and it's changed. So I think you'll probably find it won't do it again um, because it's going to acclimatise to where it is now. And the leaf shine? You can, it never hurts. It doesn't hurt. Um, if you want to keep it looking fine, do so. Um, but you'll probably find it'll be all right as it is. Steve Scruton. This is BBC Essex. It's the gardening hour. Uh, Ken Crowther not here, Steve Scruton in the chair, and with me to answer your questions, our guest expert Dave Gillam from Abercorn Plant and Garden Centre. And as he was saying moments ago, chairman of the National Dahlia Society, and getting very excited about his dahlias. Um, also very excited about your daffodils. Yes. Uh, yes. Because they are now, people, as we've been hearing, they are now coming through. Yeah. And they do like the cold weather to kick them off, you were saying. Yes, yeah, so they need a cold spell. So when you plant these bulbs in, in the autumn, obviously the ground's very warm. It's had a summer on it, much like the sea. It takes a while to cool down, and the ground will almost be warmer than the air. So it takes this cold spell, and, and it, it, the bulb then knows winter's here. And when winter's here, it's time to start growing through the layers of the soil to, to get to the light. Um, and they normally, <coughs> January time is the time we start seeing the sort of spears just poking through the ground. Um, and they'll be fine. Don't, don't worry about them. The worst thing to do is to worry that the cold will, will damage those leaves and the plant. They, they've done it on their own accord. They know what they're doing. Um, don't cover them over again because they will yellow and will make them susceptible to, to frost because you'll soften them. Just water if it's dry and just let them come through um, and you'll get some lovely flowers when the spring does arrive. 0300 200 40 41. I wonder if, uh, if you have great success with your daffodils. I mean, I always think that they're, they're fairly easy... To, to grow because you, you put the bulbs in and you know and they come up like automatically you don't seem to have to do much no to get a daffodil. I, I think people find that second year is when you do remember that you had to have done something because they come up with leaves and no flowers because you haven't really looked after them after flowering that first year that's always key but yeah they're pretty pretty bulletproof so is it essential though to take them out each year? No, bulbs? no. You, so, so if if you leave them in and then you only get in the leaves, what are we doing wrong then? What do then we need to do? Feed them? You need what? to feed them and you need to water them a lot because once the, the daffodil is flowered, we then go into summer, and the ground will get dry. Um, they will, they don't move anywhere, so they exhaust the food that's in the soil. Mm. So we need to feed them with probably tomato food, a high potash feed, just as soon as they start flowering, start feeding. And keep watering and watering. They love water right up until the leaves really do start disappearing. And then that's fine. And you'll build the bulb back up. It's when the flowered, the bulb is building up, getting bigger again, building up that store for the next year. And it's then that they will develop the flower bud at the same time. Ah, so, so that's what dry- we're doing wrong then. So once once it's flowered and they're dying off, we ignore them then. Yeah, oh great, they're flowered, Finished. done the job. Don't bother with them away. now, yeah. they'll, they'll do their own thing. That's it. But you no, do need to that's do- the time you need to look after them, not before. If you look after them then, they will... They're predetermined. They will look after themselves. And just finally, on the subject of daffodils, <laughs> unless you want to check, you keep it going, dear listener, 0300 200 We've still got time for your call if you're quick. Um, what makes the perfect daffodil then? What wins a prize? Because <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm not being funny, but if I, get a, if I go now and buy, you know, uh, one of these little bunches, packs, bunches yeah. of daffodils, when they come out, they all look the same. Well, I mean, what's, what makes a prize-winning daffodil? You, I mean, I, I grow them for show, and I, I've not got the biggest collection, but it change, every year they're sort of renewed and grown up. So mm. I've got about 75 varieties of daffodils, and they will go from being all white to white and pink and yeah, yellow yeah. and orange. I get that, different colours. Every yeah. colours and all the shapes, doubles and singles and all sorts. But I, the only way I can explain it, it when you were, I was at play school, mm. and it was Easter... We used to make daffodils out of paper yes. and egg boxes. Yeah. We used to cut the bottom off the egg box, right. the, the, the trumpet, and then we'd cut almost two triangles, overlay them, and that is a perfect daffodil. A, a star and a, and a round, almost fake. If it looks fake, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got to look like it's handmade and not grown. Ironed and smooth with no nicks oh, and, right. and balance. It's, 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 when you see it, you go, you know yes. It. Right, but, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look now. I'll show when you. I, a photo when, when my next bunch, yeah. When my ne- when I get my next bunch, I'll pick one of those daffodil stalks and I'll say, "This is the prize-winning one. The rest of you are rubbish." <laughs> um, talking daffodils. Hello, Christine. Hello there. Christine's from Halstead. You're a daffodil grower. I am. 
Um, one of my neighbours has an extremely early flowering daffodil, but it looks like cheerfulness. Oh. Um, really Sounds like doubles. me. <laughs> <laughs> and it has the perfume. Right. As we speak, it is full height, full bud. Already? Yes. Already? And it's like it every year. It's wow. incredible, and I would love to grow it, but don't know their name. Um... It's a very. I mean, it's hard to tell without seeing, seeing it because there is so many. But yeah. I, I, my personal, because normally the doubles and the bunch, double bunches, which is like cheerfulness, where you've got multiple yeah. heads that are yes. double layered, tend to be quite late flowering. Yes. Um, the only ones that are earlier flowering are uh, something like Grand Solidor, which is one that you'd almost like you would the paper whites. Yes. Um, used to, to force and flower indoors and having early, and they're always scented. Um, mm. They normally like baking in the summer, so maybe it's in a uh, you know in a well-drained, hope, mm. I would imagine sunny spot, and they're going from year to year. In can the I ground. just ask Christine what colour is it? I mean, what can you describe it again? It's cream. Cream, it's basically, it's cream. with very slightly yellowy, um, shorter bits in the double. Thing. Yeah. See, I mean, have you, have you seen paper white? Yes. Because that, that can be variable, you know, from white to little flecks in it. Um, right. and, and indoors and outdoors will will adjust the colour. And there is lots and lots of offshoot varieties, you know, okay. f- that are related to that. But this early, that in bud in the garden, I would guess it would be one of those which are a Tazetta type, which are normally from Cyprus and they, they get baked in the summer and they flower early out, out there. Um, it just might be the right place for the right plant, and they're flowering. I'll tell you what, Dave, this one takes the price, though, for being the earliest flower at the end, doesn't it? <laughs> well, nearly, yeah. You get, there's a Ryman's early sensation, but that's a normal daffodil-looking you know, traditional one that's quite short, and that, that can be in flower in January. Really? Uh, yeah. So, oh. They're amazing. They can flower from January to May. You know, I didn't if you realize, get the you know, right varieties, you I thought I thought them. you could only get the early ones from the supermarkets. You know, <laughs> put them in pots. <laughs> well, you live and learn on this show, don't you, Christine? Absolutely, I love it. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you for your call. Uh, very quickly, we've got what five minutes left. Oh three hundred two hundred forty forty one. Make your call now. You'll just get onto the program. Um, Simon from Brentwoods is about to go back to his allotment after after a winter break, and he wants to know: uh, Should he be thinking about rotating crops? And if so, why does he need to rotate? I think you sort of touched on this earlier. Dave, a little didn't bit you? with the potatoes, yes. Yeah. So uh, it's always advisable. I've never necessarily been able to do it because I, I grow f- a few crops, so you run out of places to rotate them because allotments, you know, that's your ground. You could almost deal with borrowing someone else's for a year and swapping around that way ah, right. so yeah. that you can That's rotate, yeah, rotate yeah. the crops. But it's done done for two reasons. One is pest and disease, which we touched on with the potatoes. That if, a, if a plant has a particular pest, quite often it will stay in the soil for a, for a season or so and almost wait for you to replant its dinner yeah. uh, the following year. And, and the pests are also quite specific to the plant. So if you were to plant a cabbage where there was a potato, then the the pests don't align. So that would be a great rotation. That would be fine, yeah. Um, and the other reason is certain plants like cabbages and any leafy greens like rich soil. So you would you would put manure and, and humus into the soil to make it really rich because the bigger the leaves, the bigger the cabbage, <laughs> the more you can eat. Yeah. Um, but plant varieties, things like carrots uh, and root vegetables don't like rich soils. So you can swap those around each year. So grow them, use the richness, put the carrots in there the year after, improve where the carrots were, and put the hungry ones in. So it's it's both those reasons. You take me back to my geography O level, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> Crop rotation on the farm. I mean, yes. it's, it's exactly the same, same thing. Yeah. Same principle. Okay, um, Florence in Elm Park. Hello, Florence. Hello. Good afternoon. Well, good morning. That's not quite Still afternoon morning. yet. Still morning. What's your question? Um, the question is, we've in, just inherited, we've moved into a house recently and um, we've recently got a plum, apple and a fig tree. I'm OK on the plum and the apple, but it's a fig tree. I have no idea what I do with it. <laughs> How big is it? Uh, well... Big? It's, it's about... 
about six foot. All right, not too bad, not too bad. Um, it's really with figs, you tend to leave them alone. Um, if you're going to prune it, I would prune it fairly soon. Um, and you're just going to try to open up the plant. If, it, if it's an older plant, it'd be quite congested. You know, lots of stems going everywhere. And, and if you want figs on there and you want them to be ripe and then the sun to get to them, you tend to just open up the plant by removing some of that growth. Um, if there's bare areas, pruning any stems back in a bare area would encourage more growth to fill it. Is there any particular way that I prune it? Because there's loads of figs on it, but they're all dried up. Earlier in the, the year, it must have been a very early spring, my, I went to my brother's and he, he's got this fig tree that was getting in the way of the door and I set to it with a pruning saw. And yeah. I absolutely took it back and he said, what have you done? And I said, don't <laughs> worry. And I went back in the autumn and there's this lovely fig tree, all in leaf, all in growth. Um, so they are really quite tolerant. Be mean if you want to. Be well, mean, Florence. Be mean, Florence. If you need to, I go for be. it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good to talk to you. I thought figs were quite difficult to grow, though. Once, once they're established, um, they're fine, absolutely fine. The hard bit with figs is to get the figs ripening to eat them, and that's about leaving the right ones on and taking the wrong ones off. It's all very complicated. The plant itself is an easy grower. It's, it's just the, the fruit. <laughs> my, my producer, Tim, says, will she be able to make a figgy pudding by next Christmas? We'll find out when she brings one in. <laughs> I do like. I mean, I do love figs, though, don't you? I mean, they yes. are they are beautiful to I, eat. I but... never had them off a tree until fairly recently, and I thought oh, I'm going to try one. And when they're really black oh. and mushy, yeah, get them gorgeous. off, just peel them back, and they're they gorgeous. Eat them. But I've only ever done that on the continent. Never, never here. I've never no, had one in this country. No, no, it can happen. It can easily happen. And just just finally, last comment comes from <laughs> Con in Southminster. She thought cheerfulness. You talked about cheerfulness yes. as a as a type of uh, daffodil. Definitely. She said she thought they were nice inside. Well, isn't, what's the difference between a daffodil and a narcissi? This could be a whole hour's phone in here. Very quickly, <laughs> daffodil is only a daffodil that has got a long trumpet. So if you fold the back leaves in to mm. touch the trumpet, if the trumpet is longer, it's a daffodil. Anything other than that, they're hybrids and they're narcissi. But we tend to call them all daffs. <laughs> the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. This is BBC Essex. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you've missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download the programme and take it with you wherever you want to go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Next week, Ken's gardening expert will be Jeff Hodge. Don't forget, if you've got a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0300 200 4041 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex.